I think it's it's it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, you're you're individual. You're there. Let's 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 go all the way to the tomb being open. Let's go. Uh, let's go for you know. Let's just do it. So let's do. You didn't send an email this morning, did you? Last night. I, yesterday. Yesterday. Fifty-two. Well, are we on schedule? It's fifty-two if we are. Yeah, I say fifty-two, thirteen through fifty-three, twelve. The last of the servant songs. And and what page is it? Well, we're not saved bodies, so I can't say that. Oh. <laughs> but I can pray. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, has caused all of these scriptures written for our learning. Grant to me in such wise, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so what number are we on? We're, the passage is, um, and is Isaiah 52. Uh, 13 through 53, 12 through the end of 53. That's the certain passage we are doing that was sent out by email. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a problem with your email? Apparently. And it's on page 846. Okay. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's just, it, is, it is where you like that. I, I guess it's not everybody necessarily knows where um, Isaiah is in the middle of the thing. It takes a while. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. Even with our study here, I know we've got um, a range of people from those who are, you know, been studying Bible for a long time, have a pretty good handle. To people who are kind of new to it, I, 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 um, I think there's a place in our church for a very introductory Bible study where we just begin to kind of walk through it. As I talk, talking to uh, Carl Swanson, who's um, going to seminary and. And uh, that's something because I, I realize there's a gap, and and um, I this isn't really, you know. I think we I try to make everything we talk about as accessible as possible, but it, you know, we're not starting. A, oh, here's what this means. So so you have to learn kind of by what was that and go ask a question, which is always how I learn too. I, I would say also with every thing that you're learning. Just because you feel like you're over, you're underwater on it, you just pick up what you can and you move on. I mean, that's like in anything. If you go watch it's a story you've never seen before, or you oh, yeah. you you go look at a painting you haven't nothing about, and someone's telling you all these things, you might not understand ten of the things, but if you understand two and you pick it up this time, then next time three, you pick up more. So I think that's the way to learn, is not to get daunted by either you're talking about. That's okay, not to know uh, that. Write, a, write the question down. The other thing about this, too, is, I mean, it, it's funny uh, in our time that that knowledge, especially basic Bible knowledge, is fairly accessible compared to where it was maybe the turn of the 19th and the 20th century where the family had a Bible, you know, you read that, and, but people knew a lot more Bible then. Mm -hmm. Now we've got, you know, four Bibles on the shelf, you know, we've got them all over the place. You can literally go on the internet and say, what is this? And get, and usually, honestly, although, you know, internet's not a good place for objective information necessarily, that what will pop up are, are largely fairly, you know, conservative commentaries or takes on what you're asking the question. So if you if you sit here and say, well, what is he talking about with this? You know, what is this? Yeah. Something will come up and you'll get a bunch of things you can fish through mm -hmm. without going anywhere. And, and it's it, it's amazing what is available online is. that is. That is uh, so I, I would just encourage everyone to be, um, I think we've become more intellectually lazy because the more it is paradoxical mm. that the more things are, are given to you, the more you expect people to give you things. Mm. The more you're used to, you know, I got to figure this out. You know, the more you so so. I encourage everyone who wants to learn about the scriptures to, if you like, I don't know what he's talking about. Okay, well, what what is my question? Write it down, mm -hmm. um, and then think how to get that. That's how I learned at the beginning. I used to go out with my friend Bishop Cahoon, and I'd sit in his closet, and we'd be talking about 
I mean, I remember going to, sem going to seminary and starting to pray the daily offices about, you know, 40 plus years ago. And I was so angry because uh, I was reading daily office and they asked for to, to read E-C-C-L-U-S, which I thought was Ecclesiastes, but it was chapter 30 and there wasn't one. <laughs> and it's like, what? And, and like, so I had to learn. I didn't know what the book was, I mean, yeah, yeah. but but I learned, yeah. and I, I didn't, you know, and, and 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 so that don't don't be daunted that the hill is steep. Yeah. The best way to learn is to be in a place where where it's a little, you know, uh, above. So just just keep asking questions and keep accumulating knowledge, and like that's that's the best way forward. Okay, let's jump in. This is uh, so we're in our fourth servant song. And we're, that we're not going to do it. We're just going to jump right into this one. This is by far the most well-known and famous. We read this passage on Good Friday as our Old Testament lesson. And um, it's, it's alluded to or um, directly quoted in a number of New Testament places. So... Um, what I think I'll do, because it's, it's, it's um, I think I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then we'll go back to the beginning and talk through it, because I think it's worth hearing the whole thing and not just separating out verse by verse. May I ask a question? Yes. I've missed, and I, I looked at your email, but I've already written notes on some of that, so I'm not sure exactly where we are. I mean, I know what you said yesterday, but I've written stuff here. And I thought, well, if I've already written here, that means we already did it. Well, so we, didn't, we didn't discuss Isaiah 52, 13 through 52, 12 at okay. all last week. We, 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 we covered the third servant song, which was um, uh, Isaiah 50, 4 through 11. Okay. By the way, we have olive, um, sourdough olive bread. It's really good. With butter. Do you want some? Yeah. It's Anyway, so let's, I'm going okay. to jump in and read Isaiah. I'm reading from Isaiah 53, 52, 13 through 53, 12. Okay. Say that one more time. Isaiah 52, 13. Okay. It, so this, this famous passage picks up a couple of the final verses from chapter 52, and then includes all of 53. And we remember something, or I can highlight something, that when people wrote the Bible, they didn't write chapters and verses. The Bible was written later on, when, when especially when... Um, there was debates about the Bible between Jews and Christians. They would then divide it up, chapters and verses, so you could, you could find it, because you have a big, long scroll with no delineation. That, um, that can be a problem. All right. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouth at him. What had not been told them, they shall see. What they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? We shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 
All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, with the rich at his death, because he has done no violence, nor with any deceit in his mouth. Yet please the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So we see a lots of points of contact, uh, contact with the suffering of our Lord on uh, Good Friday. So let's go back to the beginning of that. Behold, uh, behold uh, my servant shall deal prudently. Um, he shall, and, and so we, these are the servant songs, and in each of these uh, songs, the, um, uh, the, the so his servant, we, we talked about um, the kind of sense of, of servant, of course, Bible, what does servant, in the Bible, what does servant mean? Slave. Slave. And what do we what do you, what do we think about in terms of like someone who's being a slave? A property. They belong to to the one they're serving. Now, um, but there is, and I suppose we should um, do a contrast biblical ideals of a servant. And, you know, in, in kind of the worldly ideals, a slave might be uh, abused, mistreated, uh, treated like property. Of course, those who are uh, it, referred to as servants in the scriptures who serve people who are righteous are, you know, faithful, trusted. They carry out. Um, so we have the parable, for example, of... Um, the talents where the king goes away and gives to his servants various kinds of things. So they're entrusted with a lot. And so the servant here we talked about last time is someone who um, uh, is like the, the, the faithful and trusted emissary of the king who can be counted to do what the king says to do. We talked about last time you know, how the, the previous servant song, My Soul Delights in Him. Kind of like Abraham's servant as well. Yeah, is that there's a very yeah there's a very good example that Abraham's servant uh, Abraham says go get a wife for my son and do what you're due and, and he's very careful to to do exactly <laughs> what Abraham tells him to do and, and not be waylaid or or pulled aside. Now that's also modeled for ourselves as servants of Christ. <laughs> this faithfulness to do the things he calls us to do. Um, what came to mind too is a prodigal son when Jesus is talking you know what I mean he's, Jesus is showing that like a good master because the son remembers hey the servants in my father's house are getting better food than I am eating with these pigs right now or wanting to eat the pigs food and so even just seeing how a good master is that's what's well and even in that parable uh, part of the, the contract, what the difference between, he comes back and says, make me like one of your hired servants. Right. 
he has given up his sense of entitlement. Right. Mm-hmm. What's the problem with the older son? He gets, he's entitled. If he has a very <laughs> high sense of entitlement. This is mine. Yeah. And and the paradox is that because um, could because the, the the father says to him, "All that I have is yours," but because you you there's two things: you feel entitled to it, and you begrudge the sharing of it. Mm-hmm. You 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 you're in danger of losing it because mm-hmm. it, it's not to be hoarded, but to be be shared. But that's what we talk about, um, like in the prayer of humble access. We not presume to come to this like day. We're trusting, but but in, we're 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 coming not entitled. And this is something that's uh, we have to take to heart because I know the longer, for example, anyone has been in a a tradition like it's a, it's a problem among sometimes in, in some. Traditionalist congregation. We've been here for twenty years. Mm-hmm. It's ours. And then, and then they turn around and say, "We don't come to your table because we're righteous." It's like, okay. So, in other words, we we um, to really understand and and embrace the fullness of the tradition is to understand you're not entitled to it and it's to be shared. The fact that the younger son had the audacity to ask for his blows me away. I mean, in most families, if you ask for it, you get none. <laughs> or in the Middle Eastern culture, that was really, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and the... Bishop Scarlett? Yes, Ed. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've also looked at this as, you know, um, people that... that let's say, have been uh, devoted to God, you know, all their lives and everything, that uh, they feel like, okay, I'm, I'm entitled to, uh, or I'm, I'm going to be going to heaven or whatever, you know, that they believe. And then somebody comes along who has been a sinner all his life, and all of a sudden, you know, um, he, he converts at the end of his life, and then that, you know, the, the, the heavens praise and and are are jubilant and everything with a loud voice and everything and there's a bit of jealousy because uh the 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 person the the older brother who's been there you know uh faithful the whole time um suddenly sees his younger brother come and has not been faithful and all of a sudden, you know, he gets the praise. He gets the he gets the the fat of the fatted calf and everything, where the older brother hadn't even gotten a, a goat. And um, that there's a bit of jealousy there. Because it's feel, like it sounded like you're taking on the older brother. <laughs> well, I, I, and in all honesty, I think sometimes we 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 do we we unconsciously do take on that older part that that. Uh, I just, you know, I, I always feel like if I had to compare myself to somebody, it would probably be the older brother because, you know, I, I'm very much afraid. I have to accept that a person that comes and, and is accepted by God at the later latter part of his life, that he is just as justified to to receive the kingdom of of, of God as, as anybody. To so look, look, this is a pretty important thing to kind of unpack here because I, I do think this this faulty thinking really colors most people's view of the kingdom. Um, so what what was wrong uh, with I mean on on a purely worldly uh, sense um, we could say that yeah the older brother was faithful all his life and. And now here comes this, you know, brother squatter comes back. What's missing in that logic? The brother is, well, he's coming back as a servant. You're no, not, what's missing in the logic about the older brother? What's, not, what's, he, what's his he, lack of self-understanding? He, it's a, I'll, I'll start crying. I'm like, it's a privilege to not be bound by your own flesh and be pulled here and there and to, to have God keep cleaning you. We get this opportunity of our whole life for God to keep cleaning that out. That other, the brother, the other brother was not getting that. So, so yeah, but, but also, okay, well, what did he do to become the firstborn? 
Nothing. He didn't nothing. do anything, right? He brought nothing in. He, right. brought, he just he was just <laughs> born as firstborn. Yeah, just there you are. and and um, and this is the paradox of of, of life in the kingdom that, that I think we take to heart. We can both um, come to Christ in our prayer at the altar in a way that both is an expression of long connection, but also like we're coming for the first time. But it's mm -hmm. always and only a gift. Everything mm -hmm. is this. Why are you alive? Mm -hmm. Do you realize your very existence is, our very existence is, is dependent upon a chance meeting of two people one night and any alteration in history would mean we're not alive at all? And then uh, not like I'm entitled to this, you know, because I've been in church, but like, how do you even know Jesus? Mm -hmm. Yes. How do you even, there's lots of people who've never heard about him, don't get to come and, and do Holy Week and walk through these glorious services and, and, and come back again. And really to grow and progress in your faith is to realize, oh, I'm worse than I thought I was. <laughs> because typically when um, the progression of, of repentance in the spiritual life begins with, we start with visible sins, you know, lust and gluttony and, and you know, greediness and, or, you know, and, and cheating. And then we, we go along and realize, I just don't love anywhere like God loves. Yeah. I don't. And those are just those are just the surface manifestations of the fact that 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 we're so it's always every time we come we didn't there and and what's what's now if we think of it organically um, that you, we come to Christ and we as as individuals with the gift of the Spirit living life for prayer developing a growth in virtue. Um, you're going to get what you're going to, the growth that you're experiencing is going to have its fruition in the kingdom but, but what the fruition of your growth in the kingdom is not in competition with anybody else's growth mm -hmm. and that's the thing that's missed because the world is competitive and comparative whereas if, if um, uh we're all going to inherit the kingdom because there's more than enough of it to go around. The love of God is infinitely multiplied. And in fact, um, whereas in the world, if we say, let's say we have, just for the sake of, we have seven of us here at the table, uh, and, we, and we say, okay, we have so much bread. Would you come? You can't get that's, we, we think if one more person comes in, there's, less I'll get bread. less attention, or I'll get less... <laughs> Notoriety, that's an entirely worldly thing. In the kingdom it is, the, the joy in heaven is um, another, another manifestation of God's love. Another set of gifts to come in and both, and someone we can get to know and they can contribute. And so we have to shift our focus into the, the mathematics of the kingdom. Yeah. And we're always importing into the kingdom the, 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 the devil's math, mm -hmm. the zero-sum game of the kingdom, okay. where where your benefit <clears throat> steals from mine, therefore I must crush your benefit. Right. I think of the parable um, that Jesus talked about, the workers and the denarius, that they get one denarius for the day, yeah. and the other guys come and, and he gives it to them. You know, it's like, that's something we can really relate to. Wait a second. You know, I've worked... All day long, and this guy comes and he gets the same thing. You but you got a full day's wage. But the other point New Testament makes here uh, is that um, it, it says this in um, Revelation: "Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, even so so spiritually rest in their labors, and their works follow them." Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, what so what um, God. You know, God doesn't, there's enough for everybody, yeah. and everything you do for Christ has its natural, organic reward, 
the thing to remember, it's not in conflict with anyone else's reward. You don't have to crush someone to get it. It, it's it's yours. You're going to get all you get, and we're we're members of a body where each part fits in perfectly. And as remember, we, when when we were uh, reading First Peter, where it was like we all, you all, as living stones, yeah. are being you know made together into a dwelling place of God and the Spirit, and each of us has a place in that. So that so the the um, what really the prodigal son points out is just it's it's just a worldly attitude. That is unhappy that the brother came back. Yeah. And and this comes into the you know the, the some as spills over into into mission. Oh, what's this new person? He didn't know what to do. Why don't you go show him? Why don't you? Isn't it good that we're this is there's joy in heaven over one sinner? Why is there? Why do we not have joy? Instead, you know, when we get us all, you're sitting in my pew, or all that kind of nonsense that we have. One thing, like, we're, we're getting pews way back when, we're going to put plaques on them. We're not putting plaques on them. Absolutely not putting a plaque on them. There's someone else sits there. You should say, please take it. I'll move back. That would be the attitude of, of mission. Here, why don't you take mine? I'll move back over here. Like, well, wasn't to... your sermon a couple weeks ago about just that? I mean, the guy that comes at the eleventh hour is as welcome as the guy. Well, that was Saint John. In fairness to the to the to the saint much greater than I, Saint John Chrysostom has a famous Easter sermon that the Orthodox read every vigil. I quoted a portion of that, because mm-hmm. he says it, I was thinking, I wanted to say it, well, he said it better than I will, I so, I just, so I just, I just steal his stuff, and, and, um, and that's what, that's what that's about, is, is that that's, that's the mystery, that this, the paradox, we're all laboring in Lent, maybe inadequately, maybe with some success and some failure, mm-hmm. we come to Easter, it's all grace, mm-hmm. you didn't, I it. It. <laughs> and, I, and even then we talked about Lent, you know, people will talk about, you know, and I've noticed in various classes where you say, how'd Lent go? Everyone wants to go, yeah, not very good. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I leave one person said, yeah, I got an A on this, a C on this. That's completely the wrong way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Whatever disciplines you engage, the only question is, what are you learning? As you say no, you learn some self-control. If you plan to do something and you slipped up, what was that about? Why Why was that particularly hard? Might reveal the weakness. Kind of like you go to the gym and I'm going to do this exercise. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> like, oh, I guess I'm a little weaker there than I thought. I'm going to be, I'm going to, so you're looking at that. It's all about growth and grace. It's not about, but we're always, and this, this is a, um, this is a problem. And, and it, it is why, um, the gospel must be received afresh continually. We must, and so we get, I'll get back to our passage here, but we start with a servant. A servant is not entitled, but he's, he's loved and trusted and he's fully, and we're, we're going from servants into children. Um, Jesus said in Johnson, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. And we've been adopted as children of God, and children have an inheritance, and their whole idea of the kingdom is an inheritance we're coming into, but we're coming into it together. It's like even the, the faulty interpretation of, of like uh, John's gospel, my father's house are many mansions. It doesn't say mansions, but I was like, oh, I got a mansion, yeah, I got a big house. That's, 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 that's great. Yes, we went to this gray city where everyone has a big house and lives all by themselves in it, you know. So, um, anyway. Yeah. There we are. So, the servant shall do prudently. He'll deal wisely. Uh, and, and this is Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 13. He shall be exalted and extolled very high. So, this is interesting. Um, the uh, contrast between the servant, he's low. He deals wisely, and the end result is to be exalted. Does that hearken anything Jesus said? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. That, but that's, that's a different yes, verse. That's not Jesus. Peter said that. Yeah. And that reflecting. A blessed are the meek. Who will be, who will be first? 
The oh, first shall be last. Oh, yeah. The last shall be the first and first last. last. So the serpent. And he says when they were arguing amongst themselves who would be the greatest, he said, you know, you know, wait a minute. It's like, it's, you know, they, in the world, they argue about that. It's not like, don't let it be that with you guys. Whoever's going to be the greatest will be the servant of all. So Jesus is showing us a pattern that um, we're, we're, and this passage in particular, because a lot of what's said about the servant is also going to define our own vocation in Christ. We'll talk about that when we get to the passages. So being a servant is, is a means to exaltation. Just as many were astonished at you, the servant is, you know, he's talking like at to the servant, um, Astonished, it means stunned or marveled. It's like, what is this? And I think what this gets at is the very way that, that both the incarnation of the Son of God and the whole passion narrative is, is a, a paradigm change for everybody who comes to understand it. Wait a minute. This is God. As the, as the centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God, but we just killed him. Mm-hmm. Marveling. That's not how we expected God to show up. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is such a paradox. So, so that's why yeah. many are astonished at you. It's like, and he goes on to say, so his visions which marred more than any man, this form more than the sons of men. That's right to the cross, right? He was beaten up. We're looking at like whoa, and that's what that's part of the um, the mystery of the Good Friday liturgy is how we were in it and realize oh we're like doing this we're we're part of this humanity that doesn't want to hear what God has to say and therefore must silence Him to have what we want. And, and, and to, to be convicted on Good Friday is to find ourselves in one or more of the parts of people um, to do that. Now, in that part, the part where we say crucify him, I can't do that. I can't say that. I mean, I, I just... So it's, it's interesting... Um, in St. Paul has a line uh, in Galatians where, where people are denying the grace of their redemption, and, he, and he, he talks about them crucifying again the Son of God. So our own, our own unfaithfulness is a way of again turning our back. So, but every you know, time we sin, it's like but we're every, but every but but this is that this is where grace is such a devastating thing because. He's still going to be there dying for you on Good Friday. Every time you, you realize, oh, I did this. He died for the people who killed him. And um, th- this is, um, I thought Father Hayden's comments at morning mass were really good about, uh, this is the reality of life now. The, the Son of God has offered himself for the sins. Well, so sins are forgiven. What happens is when we're um, we have pride. I don't want to be that person who did that. So I want to acknowledge that I am. The truth is, yes, we all said crucify him. Not with those words, but with the sins that we turned our back on him with. The times whenever we were cowardly to stand for what was right. No one stood for Jesus on Good Friday. Um, so, and they realized, but then to come to Easter, where who did he appear to? All the people who just run away from him. I didn't, didn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get frightened out with Peter, with the threefold, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It's like, Okay. <laughs> and it won't be the last time Peter doesn't quite get it done. They dispute with Paul in Acts, where he's ashamed to eat with Gentiles because he isn't afraid of what the Jewish people think of him. Paul calls him out. 
Peter learned from God. And this is the spiritual growth. It doesn't, it's not like there's one time you learn that you didn't get it exactly right. And then you, it's like you continue. And the growth is, is a greater surrender where there's, where we grow in our ability to, 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 to be in Christ and for Christ always. But, um, I like Father Hayden said, uh, one of his sermons, I can't remember what it was, but he said, oh, it was uh, Palm Sunday, where he said, Jesus knew the very people who were saying Hosanna were the very people that were going to turn around and, and say, crucify him. So that, that was really like, oh. Save us, save us, crucify him. <laughs> well, that's the astonishment. Many are astonished when we marvel because, like, this is disconcerting. Yeah. Good Friday is disconcerting what this is this doesn't fit into the paradigm. And, and honestly, the knowledge of the resurrection that, that comes, especially as it's, but all of the gospels, John and Luke say the most about the resurrection. And um, basically, the, the, the epiphany is understanding how Good Friday fits into it. Oh, yeah, God had to do for us what we cannot do. And our sins require something. And it's this, and it's horrible, and it's beautiful, <laughs> and it's, you see why people run from incarnational, real religion into Gnosticism or philosophy, right. because they don't want to deal with the kinds of sin, we're, right. we're going to be saved from the own but this is a real salvation. So they're astonished at him, <laughs> and his visage was marred, clearly, clearly a, a prophecy that speaks and whatever other historical reality, the question is, is there some servant at the time of you know, the, the larger sense of Isaiah writing that, that and somehow prefigured Jesus? We, we can't know that. We can know that clearly this speaks about him in a way that is, is fairly obvious. Verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations. <clears throat> That's interesting, um, which is clearly a, a kind of baptismal illusion. Frankly, mm. nations. Um, or like you did the other day. Yeah, yeah. Sprinkle many nations. Exactly right. Mm. I like to get you good wet on that. Good. Do it more. I was like, wait, wait. You missed us. <laughs> you didn't hit me. I was like getting it off the handle. <laughs> Kings have shut their mouths at him. And it seems like, um, you know, the, the astonishment above, the shut their mouth is like, I don't, you know, speechless, I think is the idea mm -hmm. of, of him. And it's interesting, it just historically, whether it be the conversion of Constantine or various ways that kings have been brought up short. But the fact, and this is the fact that we believe if we fully embrace our faith, Jesus is Lord. Mm. Is ruling now. For what had not been told them, they shall see. For what they had not heard, they shall consider. And this also alludes to the um, salvation of the Gentiles that we have heard in the previous servant songs, that, that he will be given as a light to the Gentiles. So we talk about kings will shut their mouth, they'll be speechless, that, that what they hadn't uh, been told them, they'll see. What they hadn't heard, they consider. Um, that the gospel is going to go out to kings. That I mean, clearly means plural kings, means beyond the borders of Israel. Mm -hmm. Chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, um, <laughs> I hate it when I write down the wrong Bible verse. But in Romans, St. Paul quotes this, Romans 10, <clears throat> who has believed our report? And, and the idea is we proclaim the gospel and people are like, what are you talking about? And that's that would be um, even the apostolic preaching has that dynamic, right? Christ is risen. Talking about. 
and and um, the only one, the only ones who can see it are those who are given eyes and faith to see. No one else can see it. But you see throughout the New Testament with the apostles, and especially in Acts, when they go proclaim, they're giving a report. Who's believed it? No one's believing that this happened. No one's believing that the suffering servant has died and, and rose. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, the arm is interesting because that's always a, a power word. The Lord bears his mighty arm. And what's, what's the report? That Christ crucified is risen. But the power, the glory, um, is crucifixion. This is why um, <clears throat> um, in our manual bodily gestures and worship of the creeds, who, who, who for us men or for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost to the Virgin Mary, we make a genuflection or a bow. And then we go in the third, uh, and, uh, and but we arise uh, when you, uh, on the crucifixion. Because why are you doing that? Because he's lifted up on the cross. This is the glory. This is the power of God shown in weakness. And this is really central to our spirituality. Because to really understand the power of God, you'll understand that he comes into our lives through our weakness. Because only when we're at wit's end, whether it be physically weak or spiritually, we don't know what to do, we come. That's where we make room for the power of God, and that's where we're really powerful. St. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And um, that's, that's what he, he, was, he was saying in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, where he talks about, I had this thorn in the flesh, she's sick with something. People think it might be an eye thing or something. And he's praying um, to God to take it away. And Jesus tells him, um, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The more dependent we are. And that's why there's a, a real temptation to conflate what looks like power in the world with power in the church. And when that does, when it happens, the church loses its power. Mm-hmm. And that's why wealth tends to undermine the power of the church. The arm of the Lord did reveal the power. Verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground. So he's, it seems like this seems to say that um, he's growing up as a normal, you know, human being. A root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And so, um, this just, I, I think this just highlighting the, the genuine humanity of Jesus he takes our nature upon him in becoming human. There, he didn't look like, oh, wow, this is the special. This is him like, his, his form is not like a Greek god or something. Mm-hmm. Even in Nazareth, they're around him like, oh, this is just the son of that. So he's not, there's nothing particularly noteworthy about his appearance that, that makes it. He's not any, or put it another way, he doesn't stand out because of his physical attributes of beauty. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire. Even it seems in in initial resurrection appearances. um, During to Mary Magdalene. I mean, which take, which take him? <laughs> yeah. um, and again, I, I, the most cryptic and mysterious of passages in Luke 24, 13 and following, where he walks for seven miles with two guys on the road to Emmaus. Seven, it's a long time, it's a long way. It's been 
this longer I would have to walk home nearby. She's walking <laughs> with you, like we don't know who you are. So it's not it's not like wow, look at these. But all those passages make the point that you can only see in the fullest sense means to grasp, understand, and see the risen Christ with faith, which nobody has in the New Testament until he does something to to provide the revelation. With with Mary Magdalene, it's the name Mary speaks, hearkens, calls his sheep by name. In the two men on the road to Emmaus, it is he comes to the house at the end of the journey. What he's taught, he's explained the scriptures to them, and they're, they say their hearts were burning, but they still don't yeah, get it. Yeah. And he takes and blesses and breaks and gives the bread, a very Eucharistic imagery. And so we have by and, and Luke is mean to teach us this um, by the word of God that Jesus explained him on the way, and by the sacrament, the taking, blessing, breaking, giving the bread. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. So we have a hymn we talk about Jesus being known to us in the breaking of the bread. It's a, so the sacrament, the Eucharist, is a means of revelation. And that's really what the true meaning of the sacrament is. It reveals reality. And if we have faith to see it, we'll see him in that way. Prophets were, um, I mean, there weren't a lot of them, right, compared to the population. I mean, were they sort of, I mean, this strikes me harder today than, you know, this. I mean, he lived way, way before Christ, and yet he's writing about Christ. Yeah, this is certain. This is this is writing that is written certainly hundreds of years before Jesus. Um, again, people, if you're um, in 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 biblical prophecy in general, and that uh, they usually have a what we would call a two horizon, at least a two horizons of fulfillment. There's typically something the prophet is talking about that's going to happen soon within his lifetime that uh, provides a kind of type of the thing that will happen later on that's, that's greater. So, um, so therefore, when people look at these passages, they think that, you know, we think, well, who is he talking about? Is there some near-term manifestation of all this? But... Whatever that may have been, this is so clearly um, highlighting of, of, of the reality of the crucifixion. It just overwhelms any. Uh, I mean, for, for example, of the two horizons of fulfillment kind of thing. For example, in Isaiah, there's the famous Christmas prophecy the virgin will conceive and bear a son. You call his name Emmanuel. Uh, curds and honey will be eaten. But if you really look at Isaiah 7, um, it requires a, a child to be born right then. Because the child born is a sign that the uh, northern king of Israel will be delivered from, uh, or excuse me, that the southern kingdom of Israel will be delivered from the, alliance, the threat posed by the alliance of the northern kingdom in Syria. Before this child is weaned, that threat's going to go away. That's what he's saying. But then Matthew, you know, but that, but the fuller horizon is a child born that is a sign of 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 of, of ultimately what God's going to do. So this is continuous in the scriptures in two horizons. But this particular passage, it's 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 so descriptive of what we know about Good Friday and and Christ in His fullness that though we can find allusions perhaps to Israel as a servant, suffering, bearing sins and that, none of it really fits other than just looking at him. And then us in Christ after that. Us in Christ after that. That's Which makes the point is for us, is we shouldn't be concerned. He has no form of comeliness. We shouldn't be as concerned about the outward appearance more concerned about covenant faithfulness. Um, verse 3, no beauty that we should desire him. But 
no outward beauty that we should desire in him, but when we see the beauty of what he's done, there's there's an intense desire that, that arises in the inner uh, person to be close to him on that occasion, but it's not for the outward. So we following him should be less concerned about the outward and, and more concerned about the inward. Verse 3, he's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. These are all things that are alluded to in the New Testament. For example, um, St. John in chapter 1 of John, uh, the, the, uh, it begins with, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. It goes on to say, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So, despised and rejected by men. Why? Because he presents the truth, and they don't want to hear it. And this is what we all have to kind of deal with, because we're, I think culturally, that this is something to, to understand, that um, we're increasingly living in a culture where people have the idea that they can create reality out of the desires of their heart. This is all of the, you know, this is it's certainly caught up in the in the um, the gender confusion of our time. Um, there's legitimate uh, sympathy for people who struggle with identity crises, but the truth is that if God made you a, a man, you're a man. If God made you a woman, you're a woman, and you can't. You can't decide you want to be something else and make it, but that's that's the reality of it. And and so and and I think one of the things that's difficult, uh, and because this isn't something for us just to point out there all those people, is mm -hmm. sometimes there are um, difficult realities that each of us have to face mm -hmm. that we can't wish away. What we can do is be faithful in that reality and connect our difficult reality with, with the cross. And, and so what Jesus does is, is transforms our experience of pain in this world and makes it a gateway to the resurrection. Whereas apart from him, our experience of, of pain in this world is simply a um, sign of death. And that's how our connection with Jesus turns our pain from the pain of death into birth pangs. There's new life in us been planted in baptism. And through the sufferings, something new is emerging. Just like on Good Friday, through the sufferings of Jesus, this was the raw material for Easter. And this is the narrative we have to... It's a difficult narrative to embrace because... Um, that, that, that uh, at some point in time in, in discipleship, um, you know, God answers prayers. God does amazing things and, and miraculous things, but um, he, he doesn't, over the long term, just take away everything we're suffering because we ask him to. Why is that? Well, because that's not how salvation is wrought in a real world. We're saved not from our sufferings, but through our sufferings. And so by uniting ours with his and, and, and taking on this new narrative, um, our lives become our own progression towards the resurrection, as our morning prayer lesson from Philippians this morning said, leaving you know, behind what was before, pressing forward what's ahead, looking forward to the resurrection, always interpreting life in terms of how it's helping us grow into Christ, rather than interpreting Christ in terms of how he can help us with the things we want in life. And that's the, that's the challenge. So he is despised and rejected by man, men of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
acquainted with grief. Why? Because the human condition has grief. We've all lost something in life, right? Grief. What did Jesus say, therefore, in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. In Christ, grief in him has a comfort. And the word for comfort there is related to the word for the Holy Spirit. Um, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And that's it, we don't. It's kind of like, uh, this is something really to take to heart. I, I think about this sometimes. You know, like when you walk along the street and you see some homeless guy and you kind of want to walk the other way because you don't want to encounter what you're going to do. <laughs> we hid our faces from him. And then, and, and so the more we open our eyes to see that Jesus is in the humble things of this world, it doesn't mean you have to empty your pockets for every homeless guy, but it does mean um, part of reality. <laughs> part of reality that, that, that Christ is present in unexpected places. Mm-hmm. And we have a tendency to, to shy away from that. We have two people in this neighborhood who are obviously not with it. And they walk around. <clears throat> one sort of dances and stuff. The other one just is very somber and long hair. And obviously they're not in their right minds. Mm-hmm. And I find myself thinking, I'm glad I'm not out walking today. I'm glad I'm in my car and can drive away. But I wonder, I just, I just think, listen, um, I want to be clear here, you know, in terms of your own personal safety and things, it doesn't mean you have, to, you have to go out and hang out with every crazy person, but, but it, it just, it is the idea that Christ, um, as we hit our faces from him, we have a tendency sometimes to uh, shrink back from uncomfortable things yeah. where he's present, and it would be, we should challenge yourself on that. What am I uncomfortable Where Where is Christ present I might be uncomfortable with? Yeah, the servant was all, he was always going towards those people. Like, what do you need? You know, he was amazing. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and, and it, it's, I mean, Jesus, and then I had, there, there's a Jesus didn't help everybody. Right. Um, we can't help everybody, but we can. A lot of times, though, and this is kind of our culture, even, uh, that, We've developed the idea that the main way we can help people is monetarily, and and, and it's it's a kind of a uh, one of the great <clears throat> falsehoods of our culture, um, because most of the things we've spent more money on, we have more of. So what a lot of people need more of is just relationship and connection, and so we and this is why being being paying more attention to people and, and, and are having time for those who are struggling to just listen and be a friend. And, and uh, that's, that's kind of the, the thing I think about when I think about this, is kind of getting out of the idea. Because why the, the whole, okay, this is a problem, how do I fix it here? Take some money. Okay, I got You know, and that does the easiest for us because we have that. And yet, yet we've often constructed our lives so we don't have the time. I'm not pointing any fingers at this. I think about this myself. I've actually tried to, working on it, you know, to when I'm doing things, have more margin of time so that when I encounter people on the way, I'm not trying to blow by them to the next thing, ignoring them. I wouldn't know how to approach either of these men that I'm talking about. Well, maybe you're not called to. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not suggesting. I'm just making a general point about this. That's something. Maybe you're not. Maybe you are someday. I, I don't know. That's that's. I mean, Dean at least nods to this guy because he's because he's out walking. <clears throat> you can pray for them for sure, huh? You can pray for them for sure. I do pray. Yeah, good. I do pray for both of them. See then. Um, but I, w- I would have no idea how, how to approach either one of them. Well, as, as uh, Jesus said to the apostles, don't determine ahead of time what you're going to say, mm-hmm. but God will give you what to say. 
and you can't you can't always figure that. But anyway, I'm not telling you you should do that. I'm just I'm just make I'm making the point here. I'm connecting our experience in the world. We hid our faces from him with a natural human tendency right. to shrink back from yeah. from uncomfortable yeah. things. Well, like Adam and Eve. Yeah. My grandmother always used to say when I was a child and we'd see what we used to call in those days bums. Mm -hmm. He was somebody's baby. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and I think yeah. that, I think, what happened to that person? Well, but I'll tell you why. Let this, yeah, I mean, but this is this is absolutely true when you, you know, I, I do a fair amount of reading and trauma studies. Well, a lot of these homeless, they were, it's a broken families. They might have been abused. Abandoned. Somebody's baby mm -hmm. who got sexually or physically abused. Mm -hmm. And so um, this is why, uh, again, we can't um, save everybody. And our ministries, I think, I, I'm kind of convinced that they ought to be conceived of as near to home as possible. Uh, but but again, the, well, I mean that 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 the people closest to you, oh, you yes, have an okay. opportunity to actually relate right. to, right. rather than I mean, I, I don't mean we send you know we like to send money to, you know, our partners overseas, but rather than always thinking about let me support this thing where I never have to talk to anybody, mm -hmm. you know, like where are people closest to you where you can just take some, give them some time. And, uh, a lot of people like you're talking about too are, are are mentally ill, and they refuse care, and their families you're powerless that way. You can't. But but, he, yeah. but even uh, my my only point there, I think, yeah. is just because they're crazy doesn't mean you say how's it going, and, right. and they, they can't right. be treated like human being, which right. is probably the thing that we have to most just think about. What does it look like? Okay. I get it. This you, everyone has to work that. The challenges of how to love are are not easy. I'm only, I wanted to get back to the passage. We hid our faces from him. And Jesus said, and as much as you did to the least of these, you did it to me. So the question is, let's, let's, let's not be afraid to see Jesus in places where we don't. And I would say, also playing off of Joan's point, that we should want everyone to come in. And sometimes we like, okay, I'm afraid, of, I, you know, and, and, and that's an expansive attitude that we just have to cultivate. Listen, I'm not telling them to go do something unsafe or, you know, you got it. There's crazy people and don't get just, you know, but, but that's the commentary. And we hid our faces from him and connected Jesus saying, in as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Let's not hide our face from him. I think of Mother Teresa, she always used that. Yeah. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. A um, couple closing points, and we'll, we'll pick this up. Uh, but we we esteemed him strict, smitten, uh, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. A couple of points here on that uh, biblically. So when Job was suffering, what did his friends come and tell him? God must be punishing you. You, you, you did something wrong. You must wrong. have done something wrong. You offended God. So, right. so therefore, Jesus is a type. It's like, well, we esteemed him, you know, smitten by God and afflicted. He must be a sinner. Yeah. And there's that line in John nine, chapter nine, verse two, where they um, they say to the apostle, actually, his own disciples come. Jesus and say, "Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" The whole concept of in utero sin raised up, but um, in other words, if he's got this physical condition, he must there must be some sin here. So that's the the connection of stricken by God, smitten by God, afflicted is that bad things mean he must have done something bad, and it's just important to realize that. Um, the reality is much more nuanced than that. The truth is, all of us have contributed something to our own misery, mm -hmm. <laughs> our own unhappiness, not miserable, but all of us have a, own a role in our lives. However, also, things happen where we have any power. And if we have that idea of, of seeing what God is doing rather than like, yeah, well, they just don't want to, you know, 
just just writing off the idea of something being a result of of of, of someone's um, sin or or, or a lot of times it is a result of that. And even then, okay, but so you come, we come to the altar with our sins, and we want to be forgiven, right? We want a fresh start. Well, then, so that should always be a way that understands always open. So we'll stop there at verse 4 and pick up on verse 5 next week. Lord, with you. With thy spirit. Let us pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, make this face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. Lord, lift up his countenance upon us, give us peace this day and forever. Amen. Amen. Good to be with you all. Nice to be with you all. Could you push that button and stop the recording? Sure.